Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. So you remember Brexit? It's one of the most complicated foreign policy puzzles in the world. And it has been, get this, 1,001 days since British voters decided they wanted to leave the European Union, the EU. And while it was somewhat shocking at the time, the isolationist nationalist impulses that led to Brexit were being seen elsewhere around the world simultaneously. Of course, here in the United States with President Trump's America first presidential win in 2016 and others, including most recently Jair Bolsonaro's win in Brazil. Trump has been, uh, meanwhile, a, a vocal proponent of Brexit and has criticized the way British PM Theresa May has handled the ongoing negotiations. And despite a longstanding diplomatic policy of staying out of the domestic affairs of of our allies, two of Trump's closest advisors have just weighed in. Don Jr. wrote in Britain's Daily Telegraph that, quote, because the elites control London from Brussels, the will of the people is likely to be ignored ahead of the EU divorce date. Again, put that in context. The president of the United States' son wrote in a British publication his opinions about a British foreign policy issue. It's remarkable. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor John Bolton told Sky News, again, a British media outlet, that political political leaders in London have failed voters on Brexit. It's stunning. So what exactly is going on with Brexit now to prompt such intrusions by the U.S. president's son and national security advisor? Well, just to refresh you all, Brexit is the law. Britain must leave the European Union. But how, including, you know, carving out new trade deals and the economic conditions, et cetera, all of that is still being negotiated. And so, It's sort of in a state of limbo as all of that is being fleshed out. Now, embattled Prime Minister Theresa May, she's failed twice to get Parliament to pass a deal for the Brexit terms. And it's her most central issue. May has consistently blamed members of Parliament for the Brexit impasse. Just last night, she said, quote, Parliament has done everything possible to avoid making a choice. But even members of her own party have lost some faith in her abilities to helm this ship cleanly through decidedly choppy waters. According to a leaked draft statement today, the EU will agree to allow a Brexit extension now to May 22nd. That's short of the June 30th date that Theresa May had requested. So if she can't iron out a deal, by May 22nd, she vows there will be no second referendum vote. This could lead to a worst-case scenario, a crash-out, where the U.K. exits without a transition in place. 
some call it a hard leave, with nothing sorted out between the EU and Britain, and that is not great for either actor. So what exactly is happening across the pond, and why does it matter here? Joining me now to make sense of all of this drama, CNN political commentator, former RNC communications director, Doug High. Uh, Doug, you spend a considerable amount of time in Britain. You know many of the players personally. Give me your 30,000-foot view of the current situation before we dive into the details. Sure. The, the key word is uncertainty. Um, there's uncertainty within the government. And, you know, one of the things that's unique about the U.K., at least different from our system, is there's a difference between the government and um, and, and the country. So when we talk about the government, the, that's the Tory party. And the government has uncertainty, which means the broader um, uh, elected officials in, in parliament, there's uncertainty. There's uncertainty uh, amongst the British people. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned the, the reaction to the passing of Brexit. I actually landed at Heathrow Airport the morning after the vote. And that day, uh, the national shock, or at least the London shock, was palpable. Uh, it was very similar to how Americans reacted here after Trump's victory. People who thought this will never happen were having real problems processing exactly how and why this happened. And to some extent, that's still where where things remain. And Even a and thousand what, days later? A thousand days later, people are... are <laughs> People, especially in London, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, I talk to more people in London than I do, say, in Birmingham or Manchester or what have you. Yeah. Um, you know, they're still trying to comprehend how Brexit was as much of an anti-London vote as it was anti-Brussels, just mm. as, and I think sometimes we can overdo the similarities between Trump and Brexit, yeah. um, but just as Trump's victory was very largely anti-Washington, and yeah. anti-establishment, anti-New York. Yeah. Okay, so what did you make of Don Jr. and Bolton's comments? Uh, we don't usually inject ourselves into this kind of thing, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember when we frowned upon other nations for doing the same, but here we are. Yeah, you know, the, on the one hand, it's not surprising. Um, this, you know, this administration, um, whether you serve officially in it or not, um, is all about breaking norms. This is the latest norm to be broken. And unfortunately, this is, to use a term that's used here a lot, this is meddling um, in the politics of an ally. And, and for that reason is, is certainly troubling. Um, the, the proper role both in, in campaign and campaigning and in government is to be a friendly ally, to offer support, to basically have that be pretty much it. Behind the scenes, of course, you're looking for how this is going to impact you, what benefits you, or positions of leverage you can get, but that's pretty much it. And so, you know, by injecting this, and, and let's be clear, what, what Don Jr. said was, you know, Theresa May should have listened to my dad, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which isn't really the most thoughtful policy prescription in the world. So it's not serious. Um, it only exacerbates the situation, antagonizes a very key ally, and I think it's, it's just designed to get headlines, you know, as it has. Um, you, we should be hands off here, just as we would spe expect others to be hands off in our own internal affair. Well, yeah, and, but on the other hand, I've I've seen some calling for more assistance from Trump. Um, Tom Rogan writes in the Washington Examiner, "quote As Britain struggles to navigate its way out of the European Union, President Trump needs to step up to assist Prime Minister Theresa May. Trump could certainly do a lot more." Take trade, he says. Trump should at least make clear that he wants Britain out of the EU as soon as possible so that a mutually beneficial trade deal can be reached. That would strengthen May's hand with conservative members of parliament who currently oppose her Brexit deal. So Rogan is on the one hand, he's making two arguments. One, that 
our interest in 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 trade with Britain is important enough that that Trump should step in and sort of guide May's hand, and then two, that doing so could actually help her back at home as well. The trade argument is the one that John Bolton is making, that our interest in trade, stuff we usually sort of talk about behind closed doors, um, he's he's airing openly. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, I, th- I think there is a, a trade case that could be made, um, but should be done through diplomatic uh, means instead of a bombastic statement. And, you know, any statement from Trump, it tends to be bombastic. That could, again, you know, blow up the situation, um, over-antagonize allies. And it's it's not as if, you know, so often we see, you know, if you look at the emergency declaration um, process that we've gone through, you know, Republicans wanted to be on, on the side of Trump um, for, for whatever reason, whether it was fear of their voters or loyalty to the president or what have you. You know, in, in the Tory party, you know, that... That dynamic just doesn't necessarily exist. And certainly there's some kinship and, and um, folks from UKIP, um, which is, you know, one of the kind of, you know, in the UK, they have about five third parties. UKIP was one of the spurs for um, Brexit. You know, there is there is some mutual admiration, but it's not that that gives you support back home. That doesn't speak to your base voters. So it's not clear to me that that Trump's um, stepping into this situation, short of Theresa May saying, here's specifically where you can help me, um, would be a help. Now, Trump and, and the administration are making, and this is certainly um, one of the reasonable um, analytical things that they are and have to do, is, is make the determination of, you know, how long-term or short-term is Theresa May um, in this process? And, you know, it may be, she was looking for June 30th. It may be that Theresa May's expiration date is now May 22nd. And that's one of the things that the administration will have to determine and, and ultimately we'll see. So do you think she's damaged beyond repair from this? I have been amazed at her ability to remain uh, alive in the to remain. of water. <laughs> exactly, to remain, uh, just to simply remain. Um, yeah. In the choppiest of waters, I, th- I think that um, any incoming prime minister could get, and this was obviously not something that, that she created, yeah. um, you know, she has, has seen potential death to, to her prime ministership twice now. Um, it's hard to see how many more lives she may have in this. Hmm. Okay, so why would a hard leave, we talked about a hard leave, you know, with no terms reached, why would that be so bad? It seems like that's everyone's, like, worst last option, and yet it may come to pass. Well, it may come to pass because no other option is, is acceptable. And this is one of the challenges is for May in dealing with her own party. Right. And just as we see here in the states, Republicans can just disregard um, Democrats and Democrats can do the same, like in the House of Representatives right now. You know, Theresa May is not necessarily worried about what the Labor Party is going to do. Uh, the liberal Democrats, to some extent, yes. Um, but she's got to convince her own members. It's why she's lost um, referendums before. Um, if there is a hard Brexit, it means that uncertainty um, only goes through the roof. And it means that the U.S. is in a very uncertain position. It means that the that Europe is in a very uncertain um, position. And part of the, part of why we've gotten to this process is, you know, people tend to like things in big pictures. And the more they study it, the less they like it. It's why we say the devil's in the details. And you know, we always knew that this was going to be a difficult process. I don't know that anybody could have sailed this smoothly. Um, especially given not just the politics in the UK, uh, but in Europe as well. If you're if you're Jean-Claude Juncker and the EU, you have a disincentive to make this easy for the UK, because this isn't just about the United Kingdom. Uh, if this process were easy and the and the UK had already left, um, you could see in Italy, for instance, right. making a similar move. And that would be then 
um, not just a collapse of Europe and the euro, but that would affect our trade, that would affect our currency. Um, and also, you know, one of the things that doesn't really get talked about uh, a whole lot in this, just the stability of the West. So if you're Vladimir Putin uh, and you're watching what's happening in the UK, you're loving every second of this. Mm. Interesting. Uh, While I have you, a a number of American political figures and donors have had their hands in British politics, including uh, on on Brexit in particular, from from Steve Bannon to U.S. billionaire Robert Mercer. I'm wondering what you think of that. Are they merely sort of opportunists or do you think they have an ideological mission to expand their visions of, of nationalism overseas? And to what end? What's, what's the goal there? Yeah, I, I think the answer is both. And, mm. you know, I've, I've worked with, with folks in the past who were basically helping run the Leave campaign and were, were stationed in London um, for, for weeks at a time working with, um, you know, Boris Johnson's team, yeah. Michael Gove's team, who was also, you know, key on that, Nigel Farage again. Right. Um, there, there's a natural kinship there. And, it's oversimplified, but Republicans tend to be Tories and Democrats tend to be labor. And it's why you've seen uh, and there are obviously variations to this, but it's why you've seen Democrats say working on Tony Blair's reelection campaign and Republicans trying to help David Cameron. The converse does not really work here. We tend to not like outsiders coming in here, right. maybe maybe because we still view ourselves as colonists to some extent, um, <laughs> trying to break free. Um, but there's a natural kinship and and because these issues affect all of us, um, that it's natural that, that folks would, would get involved. It's, it's part of why I'm um, so curious and, and about it and sure. meet people when I'm overseas um, to talk about these issues. And then let's face it, there's opportunism as well. Um, it's, it's a chance to um, have a global influence um, that could also have a benefit to you. Well, and to, to sort of end, I think it's safe to say the traditional views of American exceptionalism right now, at least, have been sort of co-opted here by more nationalist impulses. Do you find the same over there? To some extent, yes. Um, You know, again, this tends to be a um, uh, UK versus London uh, situation. And so it's very similar to what we saw in the anti-Washington sentiment in in 2016. And it, it also... The challenge for the U.K. is that the numbers have flipped. The Brexit vote obviously was was very close. Uh, But polling right now shows that British voters, again, the more they like the the more they know the details, the less they like it. A little buyer's remorse. Exactly. Polling showed um, last month a nine point majority believing that Brexit is wrong and that a majority would vote now um, or would vote now to remain. Um, There's probably not, at least at this point, going to be a second referendum. But uh, the London Spectator, which is is a fairly conservative newspaper, to put it mildly, actually, mm-hmm. uh, backed Brexit in 2016. The lead article today said the government has lost the ability to run the country. It's no longer in charge of its own destiny, meaning the government's destiny, let alone that of the country. You know, that's that's a real problem wow. moving forward. And then again, you get into the real more tribal policies, tribal politics, I should say, mm. um, that's that we're seeing more prevalent, um, not just here, but but in the UK and in Europe. Immigration and, and, and how we treat migrants is a big, big part of that. Doug, hi. Thanks so much for your analysis and insight on, on Brexit. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Yeah, come back to Weekend Warriors. Anytime. All right, that's it for us this week. We'll see you next time. I'm Essie Cup. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.